Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Diana Dettinger, best-selling author of the book Modus Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way, as well as co-author of Journeys to Success, Volume 2. As an international speaker and founder of the Meaning of Life School, my mission is to help you connect to your innate talents for a healthier, happier, and more fulfilling life. I especially support coaches and women over 40 who've lost themselves in serving others. You can find out more about this interview at Journeys to successradio.com. And today's guest today is Stella, and I'm going to say that with an Italian accent, <laughs> Stella Tartsinus. So that's a Greek name. And like all Greek names, there's all these isses at the end. So welcome, Stella, to this interview. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. <laughs> so so Stella is just an amazing, amazing woman, and I'm actually going to introduce her so you really get a feel for this very feminine, creative woman who's in a military environment, and I'm going to introduce her so you get to know, let's say, the woman behind the saxophone, <laughs> because she's so interesting being a saxophone player. And, you know, the, the contrast of music and vibration and beauty for, you know, the heart and the listening, it, it has that contrasting feeling with the commands and the orders and follow directions and follow the rules and the discipline that's needed in the military life. And so she's going to bring us really enlightenment about both of these journeys that she's been on and how she's really combined them and helps leaders step into really a fuller, I guess their fuller potential. So now she is also a co-author in an upcoming book called Going the Extra Mile. It's a collaboration book full of stories of people that really have used perseverance and determination to yeah, go the extra mile. And, you know, so how would you define going the extra mile? What does that mean to you? Well, I believe going the extra mile is really what defines the character of a person. Now, there's people that want to do just enough. And they're like, why should I do anything more? I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And then there's people that say, well, you know, I want more in life. I want to be able to change my circumstances and possibly reinvent myself into uh, a new way of living or a new career. And that requires going the extra mile. And in fact, um, it was Andrew Carnegie out of all these 17 principles uh, that Napoleon Hill put together. He valued going the extra mile and considered it in a way a universal principle that if you don't go the extra mile, the universe will find something for you to do and you might not even like it. <laughs> So to ensure you get what you want in life, yeah, so to ensure that you get what you want in life, you have to put some effort into it and really be passionate about it and dedicate. Don't just do busy work because busy work is not really 
extra miles doing dedicated, sincere work. Yeah. And these are, you know, so, so, you know, Stella is a Napoleon Hill certified trainer. She just is a real, has really applied all of the knowledge of both, you know, think and get rich and the 17 principles. If the listeners aren't too sure, you know, go ahead and Google the 17 principles of personal achievement and success about consistency and persistence and, you know, specific aims and goals, because really, you know, between uh, Napoleon Hill, and then you're also a certified uh, John Maxwell speaker of, you know, trainer and coach. So you've got a lot of this very interesting, you know, practical managerial kind of, kind of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then you also have the doctorate in musical arts. And, yep. and how has the persistence to become, let's say, a professional musician also uh, helped you in achieving your goals and dreams? Well, it comes down to one thing, I believe, to really make it simplified and sum it up. I believe it's passion. If you're passionate about something that you really want to do, and it's just something that basically puts you on fire, you wake up with it and you go to bed with it. It's just, uh, uh, on your mind 24 seven, it's your passion. When you have well, how did you find? How did you well, find your passion for music? Well, ever since I was a a little child, I always wanted to be a musician, and um, it started off in the public school. They offered band. I picked the saxophone for some bizarre reason. Actually, <laughs> a really funny story, I guess. <laughs> um, there's this saxophonist by the name of Boots Randolph, and my father would watch the Benny Hill show. Not kidding, he would watch the no. Benny Hill show. And they would have that theme, this English comedy. And uh, I liked the melody. I'm like, you know what? I really like that song. I want to play the instrument that, you know, plays that melody. So that's really what pushed me into playing the saxophone. And then thereafter, I was, I just happened to always score really high, getting nearly 100% on all these state uh, competitions, um, the All-American Band, then I, I was getting full scholarships into college and music. So I just keep going on and on and on. It seems like, you know, school was a career. <laughs> yeah. But well, how, how many hours a day? How many hours a day um, did you practice? Well, I, when I was in Manhattan School of Music, I thought that all you need to do is practice forever. So I started with 10 hours because I was crazy. Then it went down to six. But then I realized, you know, three hours is actually more reasonable. And it's funny because I remember the flute instructor. I took a class with um, this flutist called Linda Chessis at Manhattan School of Music. And she's like, 10 hours is too much time. You need to practice six hours instead. <laughs> well, now, and that was a week. And that was a week. That was a day. A day. 10 hours in a day. Oh, my God. 10 hours a day. <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Tell me about it. So I would wake up like at 5 o'clock in the morning. I would practice for a few hours in the morning before my first class. And then the rest of the day, I would just crack. And I did this for, I would say, about three months because I started falling asleep in all my music theory classes. <laughs> and I realized this is not a good idea anymore. So that's when that flute instructor said, you know, six hours is much more reasonable. You know, do three in the morning and do three in the evening. You get your six hours. But then I realized when you do so much work, it kind of backfires. And what happens is you end up, losing a lot of quality time and focus so those six hours really aren't six hours they're more like four hours 
because of the, that's what I realized uh, from the dedication and being very persistent. I'm going to do these hours. I'm going to do these hours. You lose a lot of quality focused time. So then when I realized when I went down to three, I would just really focus, say from this time to this time, I'm going to do this. So I planned out my practice better. And a lot of musicians fall into that pit. They say, I'm going to have X amount of time, but they don't really plan their time very carefully. And I guess that goes in anything in life, but especially in music, that a lot of musicians need to be more careful in their planning when they practice. Yeah, well, I find that very true in a lot of the entrepreneurs that I coach, that they never turn off. They're always, you know, there's that, there's, you said it beautifully. There's that going the extra mile, and then there's creating unnecessary stress. Because an entrepreneur, just probably like a, a musician that lives and breathes the passion for what they do, um, they feel like, oh, but if I'm, it's that sort of what a panicky thing about missing out or, oh, yeah, if I don't post another thing on the social media, oh, if I don't finish the article, oh, if I don't, and they never, ever really take a break. So they're doing a lot of things, but not focus with the same intensity in the strategy. Well, did you... Did you set like, you know, daily, monthly, weekly kind of milestones? Like I want to be able to play this song by heart within, you know, seven days or what, yeah, what that's kind of exactly, milestones? That's exactly what I would do. Yeah, that, that's perfect. I, I love how you said seven because uh, uh, in music, the, the common thing is let's play a concerto and have it memorized in one week. And I kind of fell into that. But when you do that, that means you got to have practice a lot, put a lot of time into memorizing a concerto and what type of concerto and what the difficulty level is. So I think it's really important to uh, analyze the task. What kind of task am I, um, am I, you know, again, is it uh, out of a 10? Is it a 10? Is it a five? Is it maybe a seven? So you have to define the level of the task first. And then when you define it, then you have to backtrack and say, okay, what, what would I need to do to be able to um, accomplish that task? Would I be able to um, plan? Would, it, would I be able to accomplish it in a week? Would I be able to accomplish it in four days? So how would you gauge what you need to do to accomplish that task? I think is important is first define, then plan, and then assess. Assess was it right? Yeah, I'm very big. Yeah, I'm very big on reverse engineering. You know, I like to see the final objective and then work backwards and say, based on other commitments that I have, and you know, you're you you've got a family also, and you know, based on the commitments I have, based on speaking engagements or you know whatever, what is the realistic time? And then, do I need to call in someone else, or do I need to delegate, or you know, how do I get other things off my plate? (laughs) You know, to to be able to to do it. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's a lot of time. Yep. Well, so tell us about your. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. What I was going to say is that we, we get overwhelmed. And when we get so overwhelmed, uh, we, we, we don't think clearly. We, we cannot focus and plan effectively. So we don't put, get that quality time into accomplishing our goal. I think that's very important to be able to relax while you're planning and don't get frantic. Yeah, because I, I well, what you even said earlier, you know, when you find your passion, then you're so turned on all the time. But then there's the balance you want to bring into it to not overdo it and burn yourself out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then 
and 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 have those mini little milestone things like you know you with learning the concerto or yeah. or well now how do you tie that into sort of being a motivational leadership speaker and 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 tell us about even your your army experience sure uh, as i was telling you it has planning focus has all the elements that really tie into everything else and uh, i think of music as being like peak performance, human potential. What can a person really play? And there was a time that I wanted to play all this new music. I had some composers writing for me as well in New York City. And, and I told them to write the hardest thing they can possibly write. And it was cool because I, I spent a lot of time practicing it. Then they were telling me, oh, saxophone players aren't you know able to play what I wrote for you. So I had to make it easy version for them. And I'm like, well, because I would use the whole range, the four octave range and four, the fourth octave is pretty challenging to play fast up there so I kind of played a game with myself I'm like well what can I do that really hard so I improve as well so if I'm playing at a level say seven I want to get to the level eight then I would try to get level nine and so forth that when I felt you know I was 10 like 10 is good but that's not good we can get even higher because there's no such thing as perfection I believe I believe perfection is our perception just like beauty's in the 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 behold the person with eye of the beholder so beauty's in yeah. eye of the beholder well perfection's the same way i believe that, that we always can excel and what we might think is perfect now say like five years from now we're gonna have different views of what perfection is we'll say well that's not perfect i can you know play my music or i can write at this level now or i can speak at this level now I can, you know, now my business is at this level, but I didn't think five years ago that was possible, but I thought I was moving in a good direction, but I found another way. So we find other ways. So that takes away from perfection. But music has all the elements, I feel. It has that that human potential in there. It has strategizing. It has goal setting and presentation skills. A lot of people are afraid to speak in front of others when they present, say, say their sales pitch. Or just uh, they have to give training for their employees. They have to get up there and do it all by themselves. Speak and direct it and lead the workshop. In music, that's done all the time. That's the whole point of performing. And there comes times that, you know, performing in front of an orchestra, that you're up there all by yourself playing a concerto or music for memory. And if you have a slip, everybody will know it. <laughs> so what I would do is I would always say, if I have a slip, it's how do I get out of the problem? And I think that's one thing that if people focus, if I make an error, how can I get out of that error and go back on track? I think that's very important. Well, has that, tell us the story. I mean, has that ever happened that you've just made a major, you know, missing the, the tone or, you know, skipping the rhythm or getting off key? Have you ever had a situation like that? Well, there's little inflections, little things that happen in every performance, and we just move on like nothing happened. And in fact, there was a flute player that whenever she made a mistake, she would always smile. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, she oh. made a little air, she's smiling. <laughs> so that was in a way a little dead giveaway, but everybody has these little slips. Uh, I think one workshop, I had a little slip. It was like a little section that um, uh, for some reason, I just had a little blank there, but you know what? I just started in at, at the next section. That's it. But when you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. I mean, there's famous people like, um, I remember Sigurd Rosher, 
he had a major slip if, uh, when he was playing with the, with the, I don't, I don't remember which orchestra, but he had a major slip, he told us. And um, he just stopped and he just shouted a number and went right on in and everything was fine. There's so Super. many famous musicians that had slips. Like even Pavarotti got booed off the stage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Pavarotti, Pavarotti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go with the Italian pronunciation. Get- now, right. Even he, everybody, yeah, go, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what I was, I was saying that even Pavarotti, uh, a monumental opera singer like Pavarotti, people see the end result when he made it, when he were, arrived, saying he's this amazing opera singer, but they never, they never uh, understood how did he become this ma- amazing opera sl- um, singer. He had some uh, mishaps as well. I mean, I would hear stories that they wanted him off the stage and even getting popular with the Beatles. They couldn't even get a deal anywhere until they started no writing their own music and found their own voice. And I right. think it's important when you find your own voice, people recognize that it's something different and it isn't just like what everybody else has to offer. And that goes in business too. If you have a new twist to something, because there's a million car manufacturers. But what makes one car unique from the other that would motivate somebody with their personality and their preferences to buy a Mercedes over a Volkswagen Beetle? <laughs> you know? Exactly. So the difference is there. So, yeah, I mean, we make mistakes. That's part of life. No one's perfect. But I think it's very important to have skills of recovery. How do you bounce right. back? That's very important. Yeah, you want to be aware of, of your skill sets. And then you get into that space. What I imagine it's like when you get to that level of feeling so competent, then uh, I love, you know, the flow diagram where you've mm-hmm. got the challenge, the, you know, the challenge and your capabilities are at such an optimal level. You know, the challenge can be high, but the, the, the higher the challenge, the more you improve your skill set the more you have the drive, the more you want to perform. And you're in that space of flow that, and I imagine that with musicians, and I'll tell you a story about my family, um, that it really just flows out of you where there isn't the mental concentration. Do I do the C? Do I do the D sharp? Do I, it just really becomes part of you, which, which I find is, is the beauty of when you're really connected to what you're supposed to be doing here on earth. Yeah, that's, that's a connection. Um, it, it's really magnetic because when you're in the zone um, and, and first, you know, like I was talking about earlier about leadership and knowing what a leader is, the qualities, well, knowing what these success qualities are. That's why Napoleon Hill was so amazing in um, his 20 plus over 20 plus years. I, I believe it must've been at least 60 years that he has had been um uh, researching and speaking on the principles of success and think and grow rich. That's why that book, uh, I think I saw on the internet somewhere, it said the, uh, the books that you must read in your life. One was, it depends what your religion is, but one was the Bible or it could be Quran or whatever religious, you know, if somebody is religious, any, not any, everybody's religious. Yeah, any, yeah. Any sacred book will have teachings. Yeah. And then the second was think and grow rich. And I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> Wow. I never would imagine thinking for a rich would follow the Bible. <laughs> but, but you know, it's so true. I mean, 
um, there's qualities of leadership. There's qualities of successes. What do uh, successful people do? What are their qualities? And they say success always leaves hints. So I think it's important to look for these hints and follow them. Because I believe anybody can do whatever they want that is reasonable. Like, I have no desire to be a doctor. And I'm not at the age that I would want to be a doctor. And I can't even stand the sight of blood. So it has to be reasonable. <laughs> you know, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to go to Mars tomorrow. But it has to be reasonable and it has to be attainable. But a goal is something you can't do right now. It's something that you might do when you set a plan to achieve it. But I believe those success principles that Napoleon Hill laid out for, and he was so passionate himself about teaching these principles to people because he believed they were proven and they really work. And he wanted to see people successful. And and there's a story about how there was this uh, army soldier who came to him for help in his office. And he said, you know, I just want a job, something that will bring me enough money that I can eat and I can sleep. And Napoleon Hill couldn't believe how low this guy was shooting. He's like, what? That's anything. Well, let's take your inventory of your skills. Now, this um, soldier uh, got out of the World War I, I believe. And uh, he was a cook in the Army. And also, before he went into the Army, he would sell brushes door to door. So Napoleon Hill put those two ideas together. Why not be sell cookware from door to door? So this individual started started doing that and Napoleon Hill helped him along with a wardrobe with some money to get started and about four years later he comes back and he tells Napoleon Hill um I want you to write any amount you want on this blank check I've made four million dollars and this is we're talking about like the 30s here 30s 40s around there well actually no way earlier he made four million dollars this guy who had low low stand I guess standards is what 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 he was conditioned to believe. He was conditioned to believe that you know you have a roof over your head, have something to eat, and you're fine. But Napoleon Hill couldn't believe his he was aiming so low, and he got him to think about the possibility of aiming higher. And this individual did it. He made four million dollars within four years, and he came back and he wanted to pay him back. And Napoleon Hill was like, I don't want to take any money, but he saw how important it was for this individual for him to see that he was successful because of him, that he wrote himself and, a I mean, $10,000 check. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to think, you know, that's uh, even in my experience, you know, when you find and you meet the right person at the right time and that person who really, really believes in you and who, who sets you on that path and they are your big, your biggest how impactful that is. And especially, you know, you and I that are, you know, motivational speakers. Um, I always aspire to be that to the people that I coach or the people that, you know, come to speaking engagements because we underestimate the, 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 the influence we have every time we speak. And it could be in the line at the grocery store just giving a nice compliment to, you know, someone in line, you know, about how well their children behave or how pretty the scarf looks on them or anything, you know, we, we underestimate how important that cheering people on and believing they can do it and always a good word. And yeah. And, 
it, and it's not, you know, it's not superficial cheerleading. You can do anything just like Napoleon Hill did. Let's sit yeah. down. Yeah. What are your skills? I mean, that is so beautiful. And how, you know, how we really, uh, we can do that with so many people in our day-to-day life. I mean, really. Yeah, you know? like shallow praise, right? Like you're just complimenting shallow praise. Yeah, that's not very nice, <laughs> right? No, because it gives people, yeah, it's it's false confidence. And people read through that. You know, now people are more and more uh, attuned to, you know, picking up on falseness. <laughs> you know, you yeah, can smell it a mile scary. away. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very sincere. I mean, I think um I think everybody if they believe in themselves they can do whatever they set out to do if they believe they can. Now if they don't believe they can, then they're not going to accomplish it. But I think when a person believes they can, they don't just believe it and hope and you're in a state of hope, yes, it's going to happen cuz I believe it's going to happen. But they have to still work and plan. You know, work without demons is dead. That's one thing that Napoleon Hill states a lot in his in his work is that the outwork is dead. You have to put in action, and you have to be working at it every day. Uh, be persistent in what you accomplish. And um, you know, a lot of times we do things and think that we're going somewhere, but we're doing the wrong things, and that that can be misleading. Busy, we're doing busy work, thinking that it's going to get us somewhere. But we're not doing quality work that leads us to where we want to go. But I think it's important to build people up and tell them, you know, um, I believe you can do this because, you know, I see you have the potential. You know, I see the qualities. I see you have, you know, self-discipline. You just have to stop being negative and, you know, be more positive-minded. Because, you know, positive-negative is just a choice. You know, I, I love this idea of the garden spot that you have a garden, right? And right. you plant spinach, you spent you you plant carrots and you have to cultivate it, you plant plant the seed, you water it, you nurture it. But you know, what happens is the weeds are starting to come out of nowhere and they're very abundant. So the needs are like the negative thinking. And the the carrots and the spinach and whatever veggie one is planting are the positive the positive thoughts in a way. So Having that uh, that picture that, you know, uh, negative thoughts just creep in and we have mm-hmm. to stay positive and that will also remove any type of tension and make somebody more relaxed because a lot of times people are thinking about things that aren't going to come true. They're, they're uh, really making their life very difficult saying, uh, this is horrible, this has happened. But in reality, it's not really that bad. Yeah, we know our brain. Yeah, our our brain is really programmed for drama, and I mean, I think the more the more you allow drama to come into the words you hear and what your choices of you know media and how you tune into you know news, the more you you really tune into drama instead of tuning into your passion, the more difficult it's going to be to stay positive. You know, I'm just a, a, I'm a real big believer in, uh, you know, toot your own horn or in your, (laughs) play your own saxophone. And there's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And, 
You know, if, if you know that that's what you're supposed to be doing in life in that moment, you know, it's your calling, it's your mission, and it, it's what makes you vibe high and you're happy, then why are you tuning into all that other junk, you know? And, and, and you can stay a lot more positive when you're in your zone. Instead, you get we into other people's problem? drama. And... What's the yeah. problem? The problem is that we were brought up this way. <laughs> There's so many yeah. no's. We've always been told no, no, no. The ratio between no's and yeses is astronomically higher with the no. And and yep. this negativity was just, uh, I believe, it's been conditioned. You know, um, the kids, you know, from the beginning are taught no. We were all taught no. And then we think we're going to get no. So if we get a yes, it's like a miracle happened, you know, in some ways. And and. <laughs> And and it shouldn't have to be that way. But in the news, I met a reporter that told me, uh, well, you know, we uh, sell fear. Our goal is to sell fear. And if it's not fear, we don't have a job. That's what a reporter told me. Um, I, I remember it was last year wow. at a Toastmasters meeting. Every now and then I go to Toastmasters meetings because you never know who you're going to meet. So it's really interesting here in New York. And... Um, and she was telling me that she's like, you know, we sell fear. And if we don't sell fear, we don't have. Work. And and look at the news. It's it's the same idea with a different face. You know, people exactly. Are There's all these tragedies happening. There is the earth happened once in history. It's happened many times and many people got killed. And, you know, this gets into our psyche. And, and a lot of people don't realize, you know. You have your conscious mind, but you have the engine behind it, which is your subconscious mind. You're always thinking, you're always dreaming, even when you're you're asleep. So, you know, a good way to practice, you have something you want to concentrate on. And it's it's funny because Napoleon Hill talked about this, the auto-suggestion, that you have an idea that you have a problem. You have an idea that you want to solve. So you're thinking about it before you go to bed and then you get into those waves that put you into sleep. And then when you wake up, you think about it again. And throughout the day, and eventually a solution will come into your, and it'll just be a flash. It'll just be a hint. Oh, well, when I do it this way, when I do it that way, it'll just be some kind of a hint. And, and you can also change who you are by setting up a program to say what you self-talk. You know, Jack Canfield's really big into that self-talk, I believe. He's yeah. one that, that's really big into that self-talk. And, um, you know, one, one person told me, you know, record yourself and play that back to yourself many times and, and see how you feel. And there's many different ways of experimenting. How are you going to get out of that state of mind? Because, you know, you hear it so many people nowadays. I, it just blows me away. So many people are on these antidepressants and it just doesn't make any sense. You know, well, you know, all they need to do is talk to someone, keep working with someone and strategize it. But, you know, yeah. then again, there's chemical imbalances. So I guess in some cases it's needed, but there's many people that probably don't even need to uh, be on such, you know, medication, but they're on it thinking that it's the solution. Yeah. I, I am a very, I'm, I'm a, a pro, obviously I am for in life, always have some kind of mentor or coach that can sit down with you just like Napoleon Hill did, or I'm sure like you do, assess what you're good at, assess what you love to do, connect you to that, get you on a plan of, well, you know, if you love nature, are you taking a, you know, a half an hour walk every day in the park? 
No, people, there's a lot of this, oh, but I love this, I love this. Well, are you making time to do it? And it's back to the same thing we said before. You know, you you have your project, you reverse engineer, you plan around some things we just have to delegate, some things like that are distractions in, in our life. Uh, you know, give them up. Take a take a break from, you know, the TV or social media. And if you love nature, get out and take the half an hour walk. The only person that's keeping you from it is you and really a decisiveness to start to live more of your life. Um, you know, and I have a couple, a couple cousins who are, who are doctors and I'm very pleased that that very often is the medicine they prescribe to their patients who say, Oh, I've got a headache or I've got a stomach ache. And she said, okay, well, you know, go, you know, plan your 20 minute walk a day. And in a week, if you still have that, then come back, you know, drink more water, do this because yeah. it's the, you know, the temptation for the quick fix and the pill is, is really going to become, let's say a bad habit. So let's talk about habits because that's, that's another one of your expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how is, how can people switch into positive health habits, positive mindset habits, positive, you know, eating habits, positive exercise habits to get what they want in life. Yeah. I like thinking in reverse in that. So again, the reverse engineering, first you have to know what exactly you want to commit to. That's the end result that you're going to commit to it and you're going to be striving for what you want. So first you have to create it. So you have to kind of like plan out what you, in your goal, So you're kind of designing it. It can be with uh, mind mapping, you know, with the little bubbles and lines. And then once you decide this is what I want, because, you know, January's coming up and that's New Year's resolution month. (laughs) Yes. So this is a perfect, you know, topic to talk about. So first you have to create it. You have to design it. How are you going to design your plan? And then you have to find a way to sustain it. it. Anybody, everybody makes these, you know, they're missing the steps. I believe that. Uh, people say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, 2017, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And they keep saying it. They do their habit for a week, very committed because, you know, the gyms are full in the beginning of January, but then somehow towards the end, they're not full anymore. So they get sidetracked that the school doesn't really, it's, they, they don't see the end as being as valuable as when they first decided this will be their goal. Because I believe the middle is missing. The The middle is the sustainment. What are you going to do that's going to sustain this? Now, it can be through your, you can enroll in a program, like if it was for exercise, going to the gym, that's not enough. Anybody can go to the gym and not go to it anymore. You know, they just like, oh, I, I, I have to do this right now. Oh, I have to do this. So they're not committed to the sustainment phase. And that could be, you know, going online, finding out, researching, getting a picture of somebody's, you know, a picture of a body you want to look like and just putting it on a vision board. And it's really committing to that second step. I think that brings the goal into fruition is first you design it. What do you want? What would it mean? Like be like to you kind of uh, things are you going to do to support your goal. And that's the sustainment phase and then you have the commitment phase and throughout this whole process i believe once you write it down you get to it more because people just say things and they don't follow yes. through but when you yeah, write and it when, down 
Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just going to add when you write it down and you talk about it with other people because either either you have an accountability partner mm-hmm. or you just even share it with friends. You know, I have I have my my kids uh, are are very much my accountability you know partners. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I was having, you know, some problems with like knee joints and things like that. And I was like, okay, you guys, I'm committing to do the rebounder and the trampoline and, you know, do this kind of stuff. So you guys, you know, when you come home from school, ask me if I did 10 minutes of trampoline or, you know, you come home from school and then I get on the trampoline, the mini trampoline, you know, where it's really good for lymphatic system, things like that. And you guys tell me about your day, but at least I'm getting my exercise done. And it's a beautiful it's it's a way to add lightness and fun to even reaching a goal. When you yeah. have you know, the accountability partners and, you know, they're keeping you on track and it's not a punishment because we've learned, you know, you talked about even what we learned. We learn so much, even this, you know, pain and pleasure. And if you don't do it, you're punished. And well, how about just making things light and fun? So there's, there's the reward, you know, that, and, Okay, well, you know, after I've done the trampoline for a week every day and, you know, we've had fun, then, uh, you know, we do something special together, whatever. Um, Yeah, everyone has their own personality. You know, I think people that have a very driven, severe personality really like that strict kind of plan, you know? Yeah, uh, that regiment, right? That regimented focus. Yeah, Where I prefer, I, I I prefer a playful, sort of spontaneous way, um, because it, it it keeps me light, you know. I, 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 yeah. Also, I believe personality assessment. Yeah, you got to assess yourself. Like, um, you you put the plan in, you created it, you designed it. You can have a bubble map. You can have any type of graphic organizer, um, and then you have the sustainment. The doing will make it real. I love the phrase, make it real, but he just yes. doesn't make it real. So that's my little phrase. Um, I, I started a, a video series called Stella's Tips. <laughs> so uh, I, talk about profession, I talk about leadership. And these are the topics that I really feel very passionate about because I think it's important to have peak performance, really excelling and growing. And that's one thing that's really big with John Maxwell is um everybody's average you know they advertise average it's crazy kids go to the pediatrician they say oh they're average they're doing great we hear this word being tossed around um you know in front of us in every age every which direction and we think that every average is acceptable and it isn't because how are you gonna excel and grow average person watches a lot of tv i don't watch any tv at all. Me the only time I watch, <laughs> yeah, the only time I watch something on a screen is if there's something in the movies that my my kids want to watch. So I go to the movies and I watch it, but I don't watch any TV. I, I'm more focused into study and and implementing, and I want to do more writing. Uh, I started, but I want to do more, uh, creating more books, and um, it, it, and all this takes time. It's quality time, and it's really peak performance. You're uh, starting off at one level and you don't have to be at the peak yet, but that's your goal. You're at the bottom of the hill. 
<laughs> but you know, John yeah. Hill. Um, well, sorry, not John Hill. Um, John Maxwell. I just combined John Maxwell and Napoleon Hill. John Maxwell talks about being uphill people. That there's not that many uphill people. That everybody wants the bottom of the hill. But when you're an <laughs> uphill person, that means that you're always moving. And you know, the hill has resistance, has its challenges. But at the end. You know, the person will be up on a hill looking down at a that didn't try um, going up the hill and remained at the base of the hill or the mountain. So, yeah, their potential. Yeah. And, and they potential away. Everybody has potential in some area. It could be a fantastic cook. It could be an amazing janitor. It can be an amazing scientist. It doesn't matter. But everybody has their passion and their likes. And everybody doesn't, you know, have the same likes, obviously. But um, that's what makes us unique. And as long as we have that that persistence in us that we want to be uphill per- people, like John Maxwell states, the people that are always growing, always improving, always doing more. And if they're doing more, that means that they'll be able to contribute more to society and also for their own growth and, and to the people around them, their families, everybody. Amazing. Yeah, you know, that's John what I Mac- find. Yeah. I mean, he was just a pastor. He was beginning, he was a pastor, well-liked, he had good personality. And he realized one day that he wasn't a leader. There was, he found out who the leader was in his church. You know, he learned more about leadership. It was uh, Kirk uh, Campbell, who introduced him to a personal growth kit. And that really, took him off and you know he looked at the price like oh my goodness this is half my salary so they did it they yeah they they just basically did away with you know all these little things and they managed and they budgeted and that was what set him on the path of success on the path of being a peak performer in his area of leadership and right now he's considered one of the top leadership speakers but he did it, and he was just—he was a pastor. His father was really a great motivator, a really um, very, very uh, intelligent, wise person of what we learned about him, Milton um, Maxwell, and um, and you know, being growing up in that environment and being a pastor, then he people started seeing he was a leader. So then they wanted to call him, you know, having him talk on leadership, and and that's how his his. You know, he got out of his bubble and he became more. He started writing books and he started being noticed. And he noticed, you know, they noticed this this man has some incredible stuff to say. And he's really teaching people how to be leaders. And now he trains um, people in Latin America with, with this uh, John Maxwell team. Uh, coaches go there and they help governments in Latin America improve their leadership in their country. And then they're asking us, he was telling us that, what is going on in your country? <laughs> you know, with the past election. <laughs> Trump. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that very. tension's over. It was yeah, very, I, me I, can imagine, I mean, I mean, we're, I'm here sitting in the middle of all this, but I, I can't imagine what Europeans, Latin American, you know, all over the world, but they're thinking of the United States with, you know, who we had right. Yeah, that's that's a whole n- different interview. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Sure. Well, the when, when when you talk, do you find uh do you find there's a commonality between 
the musicians that you hang around with that are striving to peak performance because they are always performing. And then also, you know, you haven't told us a lot about your army experience. Is there even in the experience, because, you know, the army, there's a lot of physical training. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, that is really, you physically have to, you know, endure hardships and you even mentally have to stay super concentrated, especially when there's a specific, you know, target or, you know, if you're in a war zone, do you find like a similarity and sort of personality traits that, that are common between these very two separate kind of individuals who would choose a music path and then who would choose a, a, a military service path? Well, with me, it's kind of unique because I'm a military musician. We still have to do the soldiering things. So um, every year we have to have a physical fitness test. And um, I was in the Army Reserve for 15 years, and I transitioned to the National Guard, which seems to be a a little bit easier. (laughs) Because in the Army, two times a year we would have to do a physical fitness test, which is running two miles, sit-ups, push-ups, and then the weigh-in. And then we have to be mentally fit. We have to do a global assessment tool, which is doing a whole evaluation on your mental capability. And it's funny because one year I tested it out. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend everything's peachy that, you know, this is the best year of my life. So I'm like, let me go put all these answers, you know, answer it the way. And you know, what's so funny is that I did lower. (laughs) I did lower (gasps) than being honest. And I was like, oh my God, that is really unique. That they rigged it in a way, thinking that somebody's going to say everything's peachy, everything's wonderful, this is the best, the best year ever. And everybody has problems like, well, how is your work, you know, or how is family or how is your spirituality? Are you very spiritual? So these are the type of questions of getting the well-rounded person. How do you deal with adversity? So when you get somebody that says everything's peachy, they know you're lying. (laughs) So I tested oh, it out wow. and it didn't work very well. It didn't work very well. They had it rigged. So they have this training called military resist. It's it's called master resilience trainer for the military. And uh, they talk about resiliency, really being into resiliency. And um, it's how you bounce back. It's not being people saying being positive. It's not about being positive. It's about it's like about practicing that concerto. If you pretending you're going to make a mistake, how are you going to bounce back from that error? So the focus is how do you come become resistant? How can you bounce back? What kind of qualities can you uh, develop? And they talk about mind traps, how people make an, ex, an experience, they blow it out of proportion and they make it worse than what it really is. So, you know, stepping back and looking at the situation And what does it really mean? What is really happening? Because we all have different perceptions on that. But with military, being a musician, we have to uh, also are a lot on TV. I remember I played vice president of the United States um, about probably eight years ago. It was Vice President Cheney. We played for a pope. Dignitaries, Hillary Clinton, we see her like every other month. Um, just play in front of a lot of people, and you know we had to play well, obviously. And you know, obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you don't have that um resi- resistance, like somebody afraid to go out in front of public and speak, well, what are you going to do when there's a president in front of you? <laughs> you know, hope in front of you. You have to be. Well, resilient. do you feel? 
But do you feel the pressure to perform or do you feel in what is what is that state, you know, where you really actually don't want to be super relaxed? You want that a little bit of adrenaline or tension that drives you to excel. Now, how would you explain that? That's focus. When a, a, a young performer, somebody that's new, is very nervous and uh, they don't know how to get into the moment of the music, that's getting into the zone. And an experienced yeah. performer, somebody that's more seasoned, it, they don't care who's in front of them. It could be the president of the United States. It could be some kind of, you know, the the top person in the world who may be. To, depends. Everybody has their own ideas who that who that is. They they shouldn't be able to. They should be able to play if it was just for their mother or the most important person in the world. There should not be any difference because they're getting in zone. And it's funny because Buddhists uh, talk about you know if they've reached a certain level of their practice that nothing should uh, affect them. There was a story that there was a Buddhist, his palms were getting sweaty, and then he realized he wasn't a master, calling him the master. He's like, no, I'm not the master. I couldn't control myself. So if you can't control yourself, then he's like, well, how could I be the master? Then 10 years later, he came back and said, okay, I think I'm the master now. <laughs> so it's getting yeah. that control, you know, that control. And, and getting that focus uh, with music, it's easy. Because you're playing music, you're getting into the moment of the music. It's like a film. You see those digits, you know, those seconds running by. Exactly. Same thing with the music. The music is like a film immersed in it, and you're capturing the character. It depends what kind of music you're playing. Classical music involves a lot of expression. Jazz uh, involves a lot of creativity, a lot of coming up with ideas and putting them together. Pop music is getting into the groove. You feel the the groove of the music, the you know, like the 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 quarter eighth note combination, the bass drum, and then so forth. You feel the bass, the bass line. So there's a groove. It's a little bit different each style of music, but classically speaking, we get into the characters, into the moment of the music, and that's really what pulls um, focus. It has it. It just draws it into what we're doing, and I think that well, with you- anything. Well, yeah. Do you add that even in, in like leadership training? Do you teach certain kind of techniques to help someone, you know, get, be more refined in their public speaking, to be in that moment, to be in the flow, to be in, in the groove or, or put on that. Yeah. Well, because even a leadership, a leader who needs to inspire people, he really oh, yeah. has to address his vision, doesn't he or she? Yeah, I, I believe in ice times too, wholeheartedly. One, a leader must, and first, and John uh, Maxwell talks about this a lot, a lot, it must have integrity. If you can't trust your leader, it's over. They yeah. must have integrity. They must inspire. They must be courageous, and they must be committed to their people. They have to be enthusiastic, and lastly, they have to have emotional stability. And yeah. you have to... Take those six elements and go where your people are. And if, if one of those elements, I believe, is askew, they, they, they lose everything in their leader. They don't trust their leader anymore. If the commitment is gone, well, that's part of trust. Well, then they don't trust them anymore. If they see their uh, leader flipping out, going nuts, well, there's no trust anymore. 
So um, I believe that a leader first has to be a true uh, leader. That they have to have those traits. And then their actions speak louder. So when they first have these traits, so then they put them in action. That is what people see. And, you know, I, I love this. Uh, I love saying this. A leader knows if they're a leader is when they turn their back and see if there's anybody following. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If there's exactly. There, then you know you're not a leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leader, leader of yourself. <laughs> oh yeah no definitely and that's one thing is you want to practice leadership lead yourself can you commit to those habits can you make what you plan come true can you make it real lead yourself first because that's one way of practicing leadership and actually napoleon hill talks about a story an antidote about that regarding um uh what we forgot um something ready jackson ready and he said he wanted to be a leader because he's just an employee and then one day he realized that people were talking about him, calling him a leader. And all he did was practice leading himself. And by acquiring these habits and these traits, people recognized him as a leader and he be really became a leader. So you think as if. So you mm -hmm. practice as if. So that's the leadership aspect. And uh, what was the other one you mentioned? I forgot. It was leadership leading to something else. Well, like the presentation skills, you know, when oh, you, you know, when you're standing you up and, and you're sharing any kind of, any kind of vision or any kind of project, um, you, you really have to get into the performance as in even acting, not like you're putting on a mask of being someone fake, but you, yeah. what I say is you, you know, you really incarnate that vision. Because if you're telling the story and you want people to marry that vision, you want people to jump into that same picture because the power of the leader is to get everyone motivated to really have the same, go toward the same finish line if you want. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. But first they have to visual first. Uh, there was this yeah. Toastmaster winner of 2015. He has a long um, name, but he was the winner of 2015. Uh, and he said be, when you get on stage don't say anything just smile have everybody look at you for about, about five to seven seconds because during that time people are trying to determine if they like you by the way you look by how you know you're you're carrying yourself to the stage and are right there in front of them so i know whenever i speak i don't say a word five to seven seconds i just look around and smile and then um, uh, you know, I want to have a, a, a phrase that's an, an impact they'll think. And, I, you know, sometimes you can start with a story, a quote. I like starting with a statement or a quote. It depends really on uh, what it's going to be motivated that's going to, you know, make them think. So you have to command the stage. I think that's very important to command the stage. And people have to see that, you know, a, a speaker has to have confidence. They have to have those leadership skills, really for them to make an impression on their audience. So it isn't just the technical aspects of delivering a speech, you know, you're opening, you're closing, you have your body, how you're going to transition, what are you going to do, how are you going to gauge your audience? All those are technical aspects. But once we take away all the technical aspects, because we know that a speaker needs those, we have to have the vision. When the person looks at the speaker, what do they see? Do they see somebody that they think is strong? Do they see somebody that is a little bit weak? And, you know, somebody that is maybe small 
can be very powerful. I mean, all you have to do is look at out of the speaker, but she's very good. Patricia Fripp. She's uh she must be like five mm-hmm. two. But you see Patricia Fripp and she's like a, a, a little giant. You know, she commands the stage. Wow. You know, she commands the stage. You see her speak, you're like, whoa, she owns it. And know what? She owns us too. <laughs> She has that power. Well, do you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do have that innate charisma and magnetism. And it, it's in their whole, it's in their eyes, their words, their facial expression, their body movement, yeah. how they move around almost like an animal on the stage. You know, they're marking their territory. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's, I, I, I love, you know, but everyone, you know, maybe, maybe the listeners aren't as passionate as we are about, you know, personal growth or self, you know, self-help or development or inspiration. Uh, so, I mean, our message is we love what we do. You know, yeah. the, 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 the message is, you know, make sure you really are doing what you love to do. And then, you know, the choice of how you dedicate your time, it really improves the quality of your life when you have that goal and you get, you know, the set up the, the, the plan and, and, you know, start taking action and assess where you are. I mean, that's so important. And I, I really do love the ice and the ice, you know, squared. Uh, concept because those are very very valuable valuable qualities and and every person like you said before it can be the clerk it can be you know a street cleaner it can be anyone you don't have to uh, be the top of the world you know most famous person or president to to be self fulfilled because I like I always point sort of to that you know in the end of the day it's how filled up of you, your life is, and what you're calling, and what your passion, and what your desires are, and 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 it's a very emotional place. It's not a it's not a thing place because if you've you've accumulated a lot of objects. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, coach a lot of yeah. Right? Which is, it's super fine. You know, a lot of people will give, they'll give themselves a material reward because they've done a great job. And that is wonderful. Um, I've coached a lot of, you know, really high-end entrepreneurs that have the boats and the cars and the houses and the family, and they feel empty inside because they've been, you know, running this race of achievement. Like it was sort of for some kind of, external title or other people's expectations. And, you know, just, just to add to your, you had that passion and the perseverance and, and the good habits to train and find your strategy to excel in music. The base driver was that you loved the music and it was for you because you had your own competition with yourself. I can learn that in a week. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 the fine line that I've seen people you know get into that trap. Is my goal because it will have me let's say sort of love myself more, be proud of myself more that I've achieved that goal, or is it only for an external reward? Is it for other people's recognition? If you know, yeah, you, you know what's so that you just made me think of this um, in a way. 
we're meant to be leaders then because uh, you know you you were mentioning how you know people rely on materialistic things and and they think once they get all these items that they'll be fulfilled but then they realize after they get these items that they're not fulfilled and they're still you know um they feel an emptiness well in a way we have to be leaders within ourselves and we hate ourselves thinking that okay if if myself was some kind of uh, society within myself and i'm not fulfilled then the first principle is integrity i'm not being honest with myself what do i really want and if they really don't know well uh well what would inspire me what what, what makes me feel alive it could be anything and if they still don't know well it's time to research and uh talk to people see what what is inspiration what is passion and then um, am I committed to finding what fulfills me? And do I have the courage to go outside my comfort zone and locate? Well, it might be, you know, going on a safari in Africa. I don't know. But say if it's something that's courageous, well, do I have the strength to do that? And um, will, will I be enthusiastic doing this? And would it be something that will shake my emotional stability? So in a way, the ice squared works finding and i and i didn't really make the link until you mentioned all this i'm like if we uh put these leadership traits within ourselves they're not just leaders but we should be leaders that might answer a lot of the questions that remain unanswered yeah because look at the look at the race there is for you know the typical let's climb the career ladder um and how many people i've found even, you know, doing years of corporate training, they were actually amazingly wonderful, heart-centered, people-oriented managers that got taken up the career ladder and stepped into a job as a CEO that was so much less fulfilling because they wanted to be there with the people. They didn't want to do the big strategy stuff. And so often we have this perception of progress in our life that is somehow a path that other people have gone on. So let's, you know, the example of going up the career ladder. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've seen the same thing, even in like a military career where, you know, maybe you get up to a colonel and you have certain responsibilities that, you know, you were just so much happier as a captain out there with the guys and, you know, the leader of a smaller group. Um, So, you know, I encourage people to really listen to their heart. If you take, you know, even with the the ice and the ice squared, you take the word courage and we tend to think it means strength. But actually, the when you break down the word, it's cur, which is in French heart. Mm, So it's actually it's so the strength is actually in the heart, which is that 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 pumping that vitality feeling alive and doing what you love and there's um yeah yeah and so you know, courage isn't just you know breaking you know breaking beyond the comfort zone it's there's yeah. a lot more listening to your heart there yeah, yeah i mean definitely um but a lot of people are afraid to go you know they they're, uh, they're not comfortable going outside their comfort zone but yeah, I mean, courage is passion. You got to be very passionate to be able to have the strength to do what you want. You know, it could be somebody's, well, their passion is, 
you know, I really want to go to, I don't know, uh, some live in some other country. I don't want to be in the U.S. or, you know, that that's a courage move, a courageous move. But they have to follow the heart. So heart leads them. And that's what they want to do. And they want to live in a different country. Well, that's getting out of their comfort zone, too. So in a way. Well, did you say, did you say that? Because that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Oh, really? Where were you before? You, well, yeah. You're not in Italy. Well, I. Were you in the US? Yeah, no, I, 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 I was, you know, born and raised and grew up in the Midwest in America. And when <laughs> I graduated from college, my graduation present was. Uh, a couple months traveling around Europe, and I got here, and I just fell in love with Italy. Um, I spoke German, so you know the trip was finished, and I just called my parents and said, "Well, I speak German. I'm going back to Germany, and um, I'm going to live in Europe." And it really was a heart calling. Actually, um, in in the journey to success, um, published based on you know the the Napoleon Hill principles again. I chose intuition to write about and really how I've been guided in these kind of life-changing decisions, mm-hmm. always following my, in, my inner knowing. There's an inner knowing, there's an intuition, there's a sensitivity that has always, uh, every time I've listened to that voice or you know, followed that, that hunch or gotten that sort of flash, um, every mm-hmm. time I've followed that always doors have opened, opportunities have come. And other times when I have not followed that and I've gotten a very strong hunch, uh, it, it, very remorseful situations, let's say. Um, yeah. yeah, Napoleon Hill principles are, are amazing because each one, we can, we can each find a few of them that speak to us louder. Intuition, when he talks about intuition, that really speaks loud to me. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that's really unique about these principles are is how they align within each other. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They interweave like the intuition, really the principle of intuition. And, and he, yeah, people, people don't realize even like, you know, Sir Richard Branson of Virgin Airlines uh, and you know the whole amazing empire that he's built. He is highly intuitive, and because I am also intuitive, I've found uh, I, a lot of male clients have come to me to to understand what that kind of space is because they have a difficulty in communicating that uh, that a lot of their business decisions are based on hunches they have. And they can't necessarily share that with the boardroom of very left-brained, left-brained, you know, statistic-oriented, got to follow the, you know, the strategy kind of meetings where they just, they get a sixth sense and it's got to be that. And I'm sure in the music industry or the music environment, you are also in contact with a lot of people that are more sensitive, highly creative, probably a lot more right-brained, if, if our listeners understand what that is. You know, the right brain is the creativity. Yeah. It's that space, a uh, different kind of space where the left brain is more the rules and the analysis. So how do you, do you yeah. find yourself very balanced between those two hemispheres? Well, the problem with classical music 
is um you know we have the lo logical brain the one that's the reasoning mind the left hand the lane and then like you mentioned we have the creative mind which is the right side which is the intuitive side and has all those elements there that have to do with play and exploration and um the logical mind sometimes cannot understand the right side of the mind so what happens is a conflict and because of that conflict the left side always wants to win because it can explain and prove what is possible. But then the right side has its own way of acting with classical musicians. They're very intuitive, meaning how they express the, the phrases, the music, but involves a lot of a high level of technical ability. I mean, we have to, um, first you have to be able to play the machine, which is the instrument. A lot of people don't realize that a musical instrument is really a tool. It's a machine. And that's all it is. It's 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 a piece of equipment, just like there's a treadmill. It's a machine. And um, the real music comes from inside. It comes from the heart. It comes from the mind. And that's where music making starts. The tool is just the expression. And the problem with musicians today, especially today, it wasn't like this all the time, is uh, since 9-11, um, the freelance musician it's been the 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 jobs have been dwindling to very little and they do a lot of jobs that are repetitive like especially playing at broadway shows when i stopped doing that i was so happy i was subbing and and i used to play for the big apple circus i was doing a lot of these freelancing wow. jobs when i first did but it's playing the same music every day i remember with the circus i was playing the same music three times a day it was like I wanted to jump off the stage. <laughs> like I can't do this anymore. <laughs> it's doing the same thing exactly the same way. And there's um, partner orchestra that share a stand, violin partners, and you know it could be two musicians that can't stand each other but play music for twenty years together, and they do it the Jeez. same way. But this happens. So you know you look at it all the way around. Well, is there creativity in music? Well, it depends upon the person because the music mm -hmm. isn't. I think the real creator is the composer, is the person who takes the music and knows what elements there are and creates their own sound landscape into a composition like, you know, Beethoven and, um, you know, Piazzolla. And another person I find is really unique is Philip Glass because Philip Glass uses a yes. pattern, but his, his, it's more coloration that makes his music very interesting. But that right there is very interesting in the respect that he takes a simple idea and builds upon it in a very subtle way. But Beautiful. It really depends on the person. You can't, we can't say all musicians are the same. Um, and, and that's where the problem lies, especially when they have to do the same thing over and over again. That's why I love, you know, concentrating on speaking and uh, the personal development because that gives me great ideas to be a better musician and to basically lead your life better and, and I love education too I love the fact that how can you prove that you've literally learned something that you've said something so well that you've gotten to the next level because a lot of times you know what happens is people learn something oh I learned it yeah, but how are you applying it? And that's another thing, you know, I believe that we have to first lead ourselves. We have to grow and we have to implement it. Just because you learn something, it, it doesn't really make a difference. You have to implement it and it has to change you in some way. 
And that's yes, really I what that. I believe growth is. It's the implementation phase. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I think, especially in this industry, we invite change. We love change. We love to evolve. We love to see the progress. And I think that's what, what really keeps us moving forward to learn more and to experiment more. And I, I invite people to have that curiosity. And even, you know, like I was saying with, with personalities, a little bit different, but, uh, you know, invite them to play more, you know, set your little goal, apply yourself, see how you get better, measure, you know, it can be as simple as, so can you, uh, can you do 10 push push-ups? Well, in, in two weeks, can you do 20? And it's, it's yeah. fun. And I, I live that as a little game of self-improvement with myself. You know, or my kids will come home with a bad grade. Well, they really don't often, but um, yeah, that's you know, good. <laughs> e- yeah, yeah, yeah. But even measuring, uh, you know, measuring, um, you know, how how fast I can be to saying something positive. Well, you know, did it meet your expectation, or or well, are you proud of yourself, and how could you have done better? You know, that 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 kind of reply to any kind of external uh, stress factor that our response, like you said, with the resiliency, you know, that, that my response, I play that game with myself, you know, Mm -hmm. that my response is positive and it's focused and it's something that is empowering me or empowering someone else that I can influence them positively. And I just play that game with myself. So then, you know, every night before I close my eyes, I I really assess because you you like that too. Mm-hmm. I s- assess the quality of my day, and it really is based on how many things I did that I was proud of myself, and and, you know, and how proud I was of uh, of how I touched other people's lives, and and that's one of those last thoughts that I say, wow, you know, today. Thank you. Today was a beautiful day. And I even assess, well, I could have smiled more at my daughter or, you know, spent another 10 seconds hugging my son instead of, you know, getting back to my computer. And I I assess myself all the time. I I enjoy that part of, of my personal game with myself and the quality and the standards I have, you know, with myself. Well, we're almost to the end. So tell us about the biggest success so far and something that you are really proud of. Oh, boy. I never thought about it to that degree. Um, boy, I just think that um, the the biggest success is yet to come because we're always growing. And where I am now and where I'm going to be, you know, five or even ten years from now is going to be, um, you know, uh, I, it's something I can't imagine right now, but looking back, cause you know, Steve jobs did say can't connect the dots going forward. And his famous, I believe 2007 speech in Stanford, but we can't connect them going. I remember when I was a kid, I had a problem learning English because, you know, I was, I was, um, I was born in Greece and my parents came here not knowing a word of English. And, um, I never would imagine I would get a doctorate 
in you know in college in the education system but i i would think up to now looking back that's what i would say i guess now would be my biggest accomplishment because where i was when i was a kid wow. i never would imagine getting a doctorate you know <laughs> very so cool but that's one one way of looking at it but i i that's looking backwards to now and but now going to future uh, we just we just uh, can hope that we hope it's going to be something really, you know, impressive for ourselves. Yeah, you know, I can see that. I can ourselves. see that. Because, yeah, because you, you really are uh, a high achiever, but you have uh, a serenity about you that it's not the peak performance person that is, you know, living an unbalanced life. It's it's yeah. your personal striving. And the one step at a time while you're managing this kind of career and another kind of career and then starting with more book writing and plus your family yeah. and the kids. And, oh, yeah. and that's very, very, very admirable. I think it's very admirable to to wear all those different hats because they're all different roles and responsibilities that we have. And still, especially as a, as a message for women that I, I'd like to emphasize. Um, yeah, especially for that. We, you know, a lot of women don't stand up for some reason. I don't know if it's the character, but you don't see any women having the the confidence that men do. If you notice the way they carry themselves and the way that women carry themselves, I, I'm like, why can't we be a little bit more dominant? <laughs> well, yeah, but it's it, like we were saying before. It's the leader of your yourself finding your passions, and even if you have those responsibilities, let's say, you know, usually children need their mother more, the presence of their mother more when they're young and things. But it doesn't mean you have to give up on yourself. You really don't have to give up on your dreams. It, you um, And you can be relaxed with yourself and you can still do a good job. A, a couple of the women clients that I coach, they have an underlying sense of guilt that um, that they're loving their work so much and spending less time with their with their children. So I really think that's a message that's important for women. Yeah, the balance. The balance, you can do it all. And I think the best example, especially for a woman who's a mother, is to be the model for their kids that it's okay to follow your passion. You know, it's okay to love something so much that fills your heart up with joy, which doesn't mean you love your kids less or your husband less or another. It, it means that you can bring to that experience with them when you're with them, that kind of energy of, of the happiness and the fulfillment that will trickle into their lives too. Because that's, you know, that's a whole a lot of a better role model, someone who is a fulfilled parent than yeah. someone who's just, you know, Let's say giving in to, um, to you know the standards or the pressures or the guilt trips that other people try to, to well, play know, on us. We, we could all have it all. I have mean, all. we have a New York senator, Senator Gillibrand. She wrote a book called "Off the Sidelines," trying to convince women you can have it all. You can have a family. You can do this. You can have a career. But it's a matter of being strategic and having a balance. And there's many women doing this already. 
So it is possible. It's not something, maybe, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been a challenge because it wasn't very common. You know, most of the mothers were at home raising kids and, and the father, uh, you know, was, the husband was out there, you know, raising, working for the well, family. The only, yeah, the only breadwinner. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, we broke out of that shell. We wanted equality. It started many, many years ago with voting and then it just trinkled down. So, you know, we're just like, we're, we're a person just like a man is, except we're a female and we should be able, unfortunately we have to bear the kids. That's not fun. You know, <laughs> you know, we should have a life. We want equality. Well, we should live up to that equality. And it yeah. is possible. And, yeah. And it's really kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've got four kids, so I know, I know what it's like entrepreneur life and, and four kids. And, and it's just, it's really about the conviction and the clarity, you know, kids, this is also important for me, which is not taking away for, from, from my love for you, but this is also important for me. And, uh, and showing up, I think showing up in a good mood, showing up in a good mood always and being positive, like we said at the very beginning, being positive, have a smile on your face, you know, love every role and responsibility you have and be a pleasure to be with and give it your best, you know, go the extra mile. Even if you don't want to sit on the floor and play with Legos, go the extra mile, you know, in, in, in everything. Oh, wow. Now it's been such a joy to get to know you and for our listeners, how can people reach you? Do you have a website? Do you have an email address, telephone number? Yeah, I have a website. It's StellaTartsinis.com. And I have my and music. Cause... I'm sorry. I have my music on SoundCloud. And I'm also on, on uh, my, my stage name for music is StellaYanid.com. But I have two websites and I have a SoundCloud channel. I'm on Twitter, the Facebook. <laughs> you name it. I'm on social media. Okay, so they would go to Stella, which is S-T-E-L-L-A, with your last name, Tartsinis, yeah, T-A-R-T-S-I-N-I-S dot com, or the, the, yeah, spell out the second one. Sure, it's S-T-Y-L-I-A-N-I dot com. That's my music website with saxophone, my classical saxophone performance. Um, and, and, uh, this is more, mostly my StellaTartsinis.com is mostly my speaking, my presentation website, but I also have music on SoundCloud. You just put my name, Stella Tartsinis, and, uh, three hours of music comes up as well. Oh, beautiful. And it's just you playing the saxophone. Yeah, it's myself playing saxophone. I have something with guitar on there, with piano, a variety of music. Beautiful. And, and there's some yeah, cause I love music. Most of it's a lot of it is uh, live music. So I want to show that, you know, we're not perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be creative. So perfection should be thrown out the window. But how creative can you be? Very good. And, and I tell you one thing. Yeah. When you jam at those at, a, at like a jazz festival and you get people that are just impromptu. I am I am marveled by the beauty of people that just like get in a jam session together. They've never met 
and they get in that rhythm. They get in some kind of flow together. It is, it is very heart expanding. I absolutely love that kind of creativity, like you said. Beautiful. Yeah, they, 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 so, they kind of use their intuition and they kind of, you know, play off of each other, off their ideas. Yeah. Well, what is the final advice for our listeners to sum up, you know, your learnings and teachings and your journey? Uh, you know, this has been your journey to success. What is your, you know, final advice for even just a first step that they can take to, you know, up their level of performance, leadership? Well, I think the most important thing is you want to make it real. Yep. Make it exist. Do what you say you're going to do. Don't make up excuses. Make it real. <laughs> super, super. And that would, you would, you would start with the, um, uh, like the vision board or the, the mind mapping. How do people make it real the most by, by action taking? Well, I believe first you have to. So I would recommend definitely Napoleon Hill's to understand themselves and what they can do. Self-development is definitely number one. And then uh, finding what you want to do, your passion. A lot of people are trapped in their life. They feel that I'm stuck doing what I don't want to do, but I really want to do this. But how am I going to get from point A to point B? So I think if they have the self-development tools and then their goal in place, and create habits that will get them there. It might take them a year, might take somebody six months, five years, whatever the time is, as long as they're moving and heading in that direction, I think is very important. So a lot of people get fooled thinking that, well, I'm not moving fast enough. I can't do it. What what am I fooling myself or something? So they give up. As long as they don't give up and they commit that they're going to make it real, then uh, it's only a matter of time. Super. Well, thank you so much, Stella, for being with us on Journey to Success Radio. Everyone reach out to Stella Tartsinus, <laughs> either on our website, stellatartsinus.com, or go ahead and let's just, everyone, turn on SoundCloud, listen to her music, and continue feeling her you know, expansiveness and, and leadership abilities, even as the woman behind the saxophone. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stella. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at tomtutall.com for details.